What's up, Chicago? Here I am again, and here I am again on a Saturday afternoon and the last Saturday of September, actually, of 2020. It's a great day. Back on the air to talk to my Chicago WVON listeners, and I'm excited because I have two wonderful people in the studio and an amazing young lady on the live line. And we're going to talk about today, let's get right into it, community organizations on the front line of violence prevention. We know that uh, violence is a topic that is sits at the top of our to-do list in terms of how to reduce it. And so in order to do so, we have to have people on the front line, organizations that are putting in the work trying to solve this good trouble problem. And so, but let me just say this though. I couldn't uh, not be here for these two amazing ladies in the studio and the one on the phone. Again, it's out here doing the work. Let me first introduce these people. Lakeisha Gray Sewell. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. All right. Complete. Great to have you here. Thank you. Is it Amala Nieto Gomez? Yes, Amalia Nieto Gomez. I'm here. Okay, well, great. I'm here with the youth council member Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez, how you doing? Good to have you there. And also, and right, finally, yes, sir. And then finally, I have Cosette. Let me just—she got a whole new name. Cosette Nazon Wilborn. Wilburn. Yes, sir. What's uh, up? Hey, good to be with you. Not only she got a new name added to the back end. That's been about a year now, right? Uh, actually, three. Three? Oh, three years. Oh, my God. Yeah. My man, good deal. Uh, <laughs> but, you, but you actually, uh, you just welcomed a newborn to I the world. I did, Sophia. Nikisha called her, uh, her. a COVID, what'd you, uh, COVID. Uh, that's our COVID miracle baby. COVID, COVID hope baby. Yes. COVID hope yeah. baby. Yes. Uh, how was that? Oh, it's been amazing. You know, her name means wisdom. Sophia Faye Nicolette. Nicolette. And so her name means wisdom, and so she's already very pensive and thoughtful, you know, even at three months. So it has been amazing. Okay. Absolutely amazing. Well, I am so excited. You know, I told you when I got the announcement to come to a baby shower, I was like, they got this wrong. (laughs) This woman ain't having no baby. This woman is deep in the struggle. She is knee deep in the movement to save lives. What the heck is she doing having a baby? But like you say, God put this in this place. God opened the door and I walked through and it's been amazing. And you've been able to manage all of the hubby, the baby, and all of the babies. Yes. Well, good deal. Glad, glad to I know. I almost feel like they prepared me mm. for motherhood, right? Mm-hmm. Just being, working with young people all of this time really has prepared me for motherhood in okay. ways that I never even thought that would be okay. possible. Yeah. Well, let me read my prepared statement here as we get into this conversation. <laughs> we keep saying we need effective programs to help produce productive citizens. That's what we hear all the time. Well, this summer 14 South, wait a minute. 
this summer, oh, I'm sorry, this summer, 14 Southside community-based organizations were awarded grants from the Southland Rise Collaboration, powered by the High Park-based Chicago, University of Chicago Medicine and Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oakland. These grants serve to support summer programming focused on violence, recovery, and prevention. Today, I have leaders of three grassroots community-based organizations to discuss their summer accomplishment and ongoing activities. Now, I hope nobody is offended on the inside of this studio because I say this every time I've come in since we've had this COVID thing. I cannot talk in this mask. I have to take it off. Y'all don't mind, do you? No, I don't know. I have to take this mask off. It is just the worst trying to have a legitimate dialogue with this thing on. Put that thing over there. It's a nice mask. We're but six feet apart. We're six. Yeah. Where? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay. Now, we got that out the way. Mm-hmm. Now, let me do this. I want to, first of all, just kind of ask each one of you to give me a brief intro in how you got into this space. And I want to start with you, Amelia. Amelia, tell me, what's your title and how did you get into this space? So, I'm the Executive Director for the Alliance of the Southeast, or AFE for short. And uh, we've been working on violence prevention now for, goodness, eight years now, I think. No, longer than that. Eight years, I would say, officially. But we, we originally started with anti-violence marches in the neighborhood, trying to take back our own streets. And what neighborhood, and so what neighborhood was that, please? That's the southeast side. So we cover South Chicago, East Side, South Deering, and Heglish. Okay, great. Continue. Thank you. So we got started with safety marches, and that was actually before ASE was even founded. So I guess 12, 13 years maybe. So we were we started with safety marches, and at some point uh, leaders got together and said, well, we need more. And so one of the things that came out of those discussions on what to do about violence was the Youth Leadership Council. So that's how Juan is here today, is he's a member with the Youth Leadership Council, and that's one of the groups that got funded by RISE. Okay, great, great. Thank you. Uh, Lakeisha, mm-hmm. tell us about the space that you occupy right now. How did you end up in this space trying to serve the community? Well, I am the founder and executive director of Girls Like Me Project. And I found myself, first of all, I believe that, I sincerely believe that I was born into it. It was a life assignment. Absolutely. But as I got older and I have children of my own, my son was in fourth grade. And I was volunteering at his school. And what I noticed was a lot of the girls at nine years old, were emulating a lot of what they saw on TV with uh, reality TV at that time. Uh, bad, music, of course. Yeah, videos, music. Yeah. Bad Girls was out at that time. Bad the, Girls. The, mm-hmm. Who was Bad Girls? Bad Girls was a TV show, oh. a reality TV okay. show. So a lot of fighting, a lot of all this aggressive. What station that come on? That was, that. oh, God, what yeah. was Bad Girls? Like MTV, I think. Really? MTV or VH Way at one or something bad like girls. that. And there was a lot of fighting. It was all fighting. It was in real. Hope real, it didn't last long. It lasted long enough. <laughs> okay. And they can't, it followed with how, Real Housewives of Atlanta. Okay. So okay. it's just gotten worse. So what I noticed was the girls were very aggressive to one another, to each other, and to, to the boys even. And so I started a program there. I'm doing a weekly lunch. It blossomed. I saw the transformation. The administrators and teachers saw the transformation. I stayed with those girls on a volunteer basis for three years until they 
graduated eighth grade, they would come and we would. And so what I found is that I didn't want to just do this on a volunteer level. I didn't want to just do this once a week. I wanted to institutionalize what we were doing and to scale it. And so that's what I started doing, working with black girls specifically to help them push back against the negative stereotypes, the stigmas and all the things that normalize violence and poverty for them. And then to give them the tools to see themselves as valuable, to see each other as sisters and to understand that this world is a globe exists and that they have a sisterhood all over the world, not just for themselves, but that if they could align with those other girls, they could change the world. And so now this is your life mission. This is my life work. All right. Great deal. Cosette, same with you. How did you get in this space? And well, tell us the name of the organization, please. So my name is Cosette Nazon Wilburn, and I'm the executive director of the Love, Unity, and Values Institute. They also know us as the Love Institute. Uh, interesting, I was sitting in a luncheon that was headed by the then head of DCFS, Mac McEwen, and in his speech he said, my kids don't have social-emotional competence. Now this mm-hmm. was relative to me because I had just spent probably the last six months, you know, just sort of thinking about what people need. And what I saw is that I had 15 women join me on sort of an inside-out transformation and discovered there were sort of six sort of areas of competencies that actually help people to experience themselves as whole and complete. That's social, emotional, physical, financial, environmental, and spiritual. And so when I sat down with Mac McEwen at the time, right, he saw there was a potential here because in my experiment, these women experienced some life-changing, you know, things that happened to them. Some of them got married. Two of them got married. I think, you know, many of them had changed jobs and really found what their potential, but what they all got was social and emotional competence. Now, this is relative because, or relevant because the kids that Mac served, which is DCFS, foster kids, right, were experiencing a level of, of discomfort because when they got into the work world, right, they would just tank. Now, that was because they didn't know how to manage their emotions. And so the opportunity eight years ago was to really create a program that would sort of shift that, right? So now we have, you know, uh, we got together community members, and I'm the founder. And so from that, we created programs that had a social-emotional learning approach to college and career readiness so that we could really prepare the next generation of leaders. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Very powerful. All organizations today are very powerful. Amelia, you had mentioned about the funding from RISE. Uh, mm-hmm. which, which program has been funded by the RISE collaboration? So that would be our, our Youth Leadership Council. Uh, okay. They go by YLP for short. But basically, the Youth Leadership Council got started because adults realized that we were organizing adults at the time, but they were asking, well, what about the youth? <laughs> and so um, we, we started organizing the Youth Leadership Council to engage youth where they're at and make sure they have a voice in what's going on in the community to get them proactive in the community. And maybe uh, Juan can talk about what the youth, the youth Leadership Council has been doing. Yeah, Juan, please yeah. tell us what the, what's up with the Youth Leadership Council. And thanks for coming yeah, out. Thank you. So, um, the YLC is a community of uh, local youth members. We're all motivated to create a positive influence in our community. So basically, we come together and we discuss important issues happening in our community, and we also discuss potential solutions. 
pretty much it's a safe space for anyone to express what they feel is needed. And we also protest against like big issues like violence and racism. Okay. All right. How long have you been affiliated with the organization? I would say about over a year, definitely over a year, okay. reaching to uh, one and a half to. Has this experience been transformational for you? Absolutely. Like, I joined because I always hear about stuff going on in the community, but, like, and I have so much pride for being in the Southeast side. Yeah. But, like, and I want to do something. I want to have a voice. And the YLC pretty much, it gives me the resources. It gives me the tools. It lets me actually, like, it's better than just sitting around in the home. I can actually, like, do something of what of the thoughts that I have in my head. So as you were sitting back thinking about what you wanted to do in terms of your involvement in the community, how did you stumble across ASE? I've heard of them uh, for a good while. I was part of another local church organization, and they I heard about um, Austin's YLC. They were just starting, I think. And I found them on Instagram, and I was like, hey, I really, this sounds really interesting. It sounds really cool. And they were, they were like, yeah, of course, come through. And ever, it's just history from that. I really like to meet everyone. I really like to, like, talk about what was going on. Okay, okay. I got a question for you, Amelia. How many youth do you guys serve in the organization presently? It ranges. It, it you know, every week's a little bit different, but we sure. have, I would say, at least a core group of about fifteen to twenty youth. Okay. So we have one. How many do we have out there today at our event? I would say like fifteen. Fifteen, uh, sixteen around there. Yeah. So the, the, that's the youth organized event today, actually, for a back to school giveaway and mask giveaway, and uh, they did a youth rally. So. All right. Great. That's going on right now. Right this very moment. <laughs> Yep. Y'all got to get out there and and help out, right? Yep. So we we, we stepped away so we could uh, do the radio program. But it's going on right now, 90th and commercial. How long long is it going to be going on today? Till 2 p.m. And we got lots and lots of supplies. Okay. And and stress balls for mental health and back to school supplies. It's really good. Absolutely. Thank you. Look, we're going to take a break, but I want to get back to you two in the studio, Lakeisha and Cosette. I want to. Because you guys both were also funded by the RISE collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about how did that end up happening for you guys. On the other side, Carl West, Community Health Focus Hour. Back in a flash. What's up? What's up, Chicago? Back at you. We are here on a Sunday afternoon. This is the Community Health Focus Hour brought to you by the University of Chicago Urban Health Initiative. I got three amazing guests who are doing great work in the community, which is actually the topic of the day. It is community organizations on the front line of violence prevention. We've taken a break, and I'll asked the two questions of the ladies in the studio because Amelia had already uh, answered the question by she was a f- being she was funded by the RISE program which founded by the University of Chicago Medicine and also you two, Lakeisha and Cosette, you guys were funded as well. And Lakeisha, you said it's been your third year being funded. So you was the initial of this program yes. right when it started and then you say possibly two, maybe three. Yes. It's hard to keep up with the new baby, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> right. yes. Time, that time is a blur now. Oh, man. I'm right. like, I should have wrote that down. Uh, uh, the pen? And, and so how did you become aware of the RISE program? Did somebody tap you or did you hear about it and just kind of say, let me check this out based on what we're doing out in the community, Lakeisha? I, I know for sure that someone uh, forwarded the opportunity to me. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was Walida Turow. Oh, right. She's great I, over at the University I, of I really want to yeah, say it was her. And, and so I applied and we've applied every year. Our programming has been, we started out being funded for our Divas in the City, which takes girls from mostly segregated, low-income communities on the South Side uh-huh. and gives them the tools to document their experiences going outside of what they would normally be relegated to um, and experiencing this city in its fullness as a full resident and citizen of the city. And that also, we do a lot of social emotional work as well, like and a lot of women's history and cultural contributions, and that was just a powerful thing. And and uh, some of the uh, obviously some of the um, funders teams came in and sat in on us and also saw what we Talk were doing. Talk about Leaf and Brenda mm-hmm. Battle. Yes, uh, and that Leaf whole is team. cool, ain't he? Leaf is so cool. Ain't he the coolest dude? Leaf is a cool dude. I, yes. I say Leaf got the best hair. In the world. The best hair. Isn't yeah. this hair just dope? It's so Tom Cruise, in, in 1987. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and I, I think that because I've told him that a thousand times. I think whenever he know I'm coming to the university to pay a visit, I think he'd do extra juice on the hair. <laughs> <laughs> he does extra juice because he know I'm coming and I'm going to be ramming on that hair because it's the coolest hair. I said to him, if I get hair, I want that hair. I love I and I love Leaf was the one who actually, when we first got the first grant the first year, Leaf was the one who actually called to tell me that we got the grant. So, yeah. Great, great. Uh, and Cosette, how did you hear about the program? Did somebody tap you or you was just looking around trying to find some additional funding for the Love Institute? Actually, we are a core grantee for the uh, Community Programs Accelerator. So as a result, you know, we sort of... And certainly got the message from Walida Turo, but also you know, a fantastic person. Yes, that Urban absolutely Health beautiful yeah. person. Um, but we spirit. were invited to participate because our at the crux of our program or the foundation is restorative practices and brain-based strategies. And what we had done is we had started to shift to really serve youth-serving professionals and really empowering them with the tools that we had discovered. So you know, we had discovered that. of the kids that we serve have experienced some level of trauma by the age of 16. And the impact was that they were experiencing anxiety, trauma, social awkwardness, low academic performance. And it was really the initiation of these evidence-based practices that really began to shift sort of the needle for them. And we saw that, indeed, that young people were resilient. So we wanted to share this with youth-serving professionals like teachers and safety professionals and uh, academics, and as a result, we were able to sort of move the needle because of that. And so, this grant allowed us to really go a little harder on the uh, on our initiative. And so, even this summer, even though we were really sheltering in place, we were able to work with sixty educators, you know, in in really give, giving them this, them these tools as well as providing these resources to Absolutely. young people. And so, and so the great thing about having a partner like the University of Chicago and this Urban Health Initiative is. That that when other funders see that, it's really a, it sends a message that maybe we should be involved as well because they have such a prestigious label attached to the University of Chicago that is, and so so it's always great to have a what I call one of your core founders funders 
that can really spearhead other people to really start thinking about how they want to be, how they want to contribute to your uh, organization. Amelia, could you tell us, you are Juan, but I, either one of you can answer this question. And I think probably you, Amelia, because you are, are the founder of the organization. What is the impact of ASE in the communities that you serve? I mean, are you seeing some significant transformation in terms of youth coming from a, a point of uh, of having their uh, having their attention on violence to not being a part of that because a lot of it's probably a lot of these young kids call themselves being in the game. So how do y'all uh, measure the impact of your organization? So when we see a lot of changes <laughs> in the youth as they as they get involved in the youth leadership council. So some of them get involved on purpose. Some of them, it's by accident, like they hear about from their friends and they check out a meeting and they end up staying because they like it. But we've seen youth that have been able to, you know, we, we've had youth that have been in gangs. We have youth who have been approached by gang members. One of the early youth, I still remember, you know, he, he had been shot at and had been approached by different gang members. And he became part of the Youth Leadership Council and he took off. Like, I, I mean, in terms of, like, you know, how involved he was in the community, um, he became one of our, our key speakers at events. And for our Youth Leadership Council, the youth plan everything that they do from beginning to end. So it's really about developing leaders, future community leaders, or future adult community leaders, I should say. But I think I've seen youth council members, the more they get involved with the youth council, the more likely they are to stay in school, the more likely they are to graduate and the more likely they are to get involved in a lot of other things in the community. So that's our goal is to have youth get proactive in the community. And I don't know, Juan, you've, like, <laughs> you've gotten involved. Yeah, I've definitely gotten involved. I remember we were discussing, I, this was back in June, we were um, planning out the Black Lives Matter march around Commercial Avenue. And we were, there was a point where they said, does anyone want to speak? And, I mean, I was like, yeah, why not? And I, I really, really liked it. I think it really, like, it motivated me to get even more involved. Like, I was already involved. I'm already in YLC, right? But, like, after saying my speech, I, I spoke today on the Back to School March, too. Okay. And um, it just motivated me a lot more. It, like, it pretty much enhanced my pride for the community. Absolutely. I would say. Absolutely good. And Set- he spoke in front of four to 500 people. It's one of our largest marches that we've had on the southeast side. Oh, congratulations to that, definitely. Wow. Thank you. Yes, yes. 773-591-1690, 773-591-1690. If you want to call up to just share some thoughts about what you're doing or ask questions of our three guests, please do. And I want to go right to you, Lakeisha, on the same kind of question. What do you think is the biggest impact with your organization? Prior to the funding, just the work mm-hmm. that you do, because, of course, you did this out of passion and love. So mm-hmm. how do you measure your impact on the changing lives? Well, I, we measure our impact, one, just in the behaviors towards one another, self self-value and self-worth of the girls. And we see a huge 180-degree change in all the girls that go through our programming. Also changing their habits of being consumers, of being producers versus consumers of media and how much they actually produce while they're with us. The screen time, we teach them how to watch their screen time and keep a diary, a media diary, so they can see for themselves, what am I consuming? How often am I consuming this? How am I changing or getting better? 
most importantly is how they relate to one another. The love, when we talk about violence prevention, we don't often girls get left out of that conversation of the interpersonal conflict that they have. Mm-hmm. And even when violence is stemmed outside of girls, a lot of times they're, they're in the middle of it, right? Somebody's fighting over something, you know. And so just to have them take ownership of how they respect each other, how they honor each other, and how they see themselves as being productive change agents in their communities is one of the biggest impacts that we see. Sure, I want to sure. I want to also say though as you talked about having a funder like University of Chicago. This year I just want to shout out that even though this is violence prevention grant and violence prevention funding, the funding this year was to violence prevention as well as a response to COVID. And so our work this summer wasn't focused on media we were focused on, we called it soul power healing. So our work was done about how do you grow your own vegetables in your home? Mm-hmm. How do you exercise at home? How do you keep these connections even though you can't be with your peers? How do you keep Absolutely. these kind of connections? And that's cool. what our work was this well, great, summer. Well, great. Before I pose this question to you, Cosette, we got three calls we need to take. Uh, first on the line is Joe. What's up, Joe? Uh, I'm, I'm joining the program and I don't Thank want you. to... Uh, I want to see how can I build, or even if you say, Nate, Joe, this is something you need to do. When this officer who shot, who kills, a, a, a shoots a black person, then it's a, you know, that's a great outcry. But when it's black on black, when I'm hearing about all these kids being killed, it's not much of an outcry. What can we do in terms of what you guys are already doing to kind of, uh, you know, address that issue? And it seems like these crimes are happening broad daylight and nobody knows nothing. Hey, oh, Joe, that's a great question. But first of all, let me just correct you. I mean, I hear people say this, right? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, when somebody, when the police shoot a black person, there's this major outcry and protest. And then when a black person shoots another black person in the community, there's no, that is totally untrue. There is so many protests going on every single day in communities across Chicago by organizations that you probably never heard of that are out there every single day combating violence, as you call it, community-based violence. I'm not going to use the black-on-black stuff. It's community-based violence. And there's people out there every single day fighting. The media doesn't shine a spotlight on that because that's not sexy joe so therefore they don't put a spotlight on the amazing organizations that are out there on the blocks every single day uh you're talking about diane latica with kids on the block and i can give you dozens of them who i know that are out there doing doing work fighting trying to solve crimes and trying to be what they call uh violence prevention uh organization so yeah they out there, Joe, and what I can tell you is that you hear these young ladies, you hear the young lady on the call-in line, ask, your question should be based on how can you get involved and that's with what I, one that's, of their organizations that's what, because they, that's what I want to do. they got work for you to do. You can believe that. So yep. they're going to give you their information at the back end of this, so please okay. be, you know, have your pencil and paper or either your smartphone ready to take their information down, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you for that call, Joe. Okay, uh, we have another call here, uh, Dusabo. What's up, Dusabo? How's it going, Brother Carl? And thank your esteemed uh, guests and colleagues You're for welcome. Uh, the very informative presentation of uh, violence prevention, which actually is the point of my uh, my call. Are we addressing violence 
as the causation, or are we actually looking at trauma-informed uh, decision protocols to address the violence? My assertion, obviously, here is that is it not trauma that we need to really look at preventing as opposed to preventing violence? I'll hang up and listen. Well, uh, that's a good question. Who would like to tack that from their standpoint with their organization? Well, Can I have, oh. Go ahead, Cosette. I'll let everybody take a moment. <laughs> All three of you can take a brief moment and address that because it's, it's, it's a very relevant question. Thank you again, Dusabo. I think that's a really great question. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that our organization does is really focuses specifically on trauma that's impacting young people. And because we've used evidence-based approach like restorative practice and brain-based strategies, we're able to really deliver programming uh, based upon the impact the way stress and trauma sort of impact young people, as well as providing them with uh, tools that help them to sort of navigate life Mm -hmm. and overcome those traumas. So I think that from a preventive standpoint, you know, that's a really important piece that we have to really start to focus on. Because what happens is there's what we have, what we have at play here is often vicarious trauma. So Mm -hmm. people are experiencing trauma, but and that's what we're seeing with all the looting and all the mm-hmm. marching is that we have vicarious trauma and how we're responding mm-hmm. to someone who we feel that we can relate to their life and, and how it impacts us. Okay. What we can start to do is start to have restorative listening and mm-hmm. effective listening and, and empathy for other people so that we can now be able to communicate better with one another. Absolutely. And that's what our work really focuses Thank on. Thank you. Here. So, uh, Lakeisha, and, can you address that, please? Some of the same, right? So a lot of what we know is that the reasons that girls act out the reason that girls are violent is because something else is happening and so we try to address that we do affirmations we do meditation we do a lot of mindfulness we also work with mothers so we're even tomorrow we're having a free uh, symposium for raising black girl magic to deal with stress management this will happen every month for free so trauma and uh, trauma having trauma informed based practices is all about what we're about and I also want to say that what we're hoping to move into is policy because a lot a lot of trauma is caused by policy, such bad as policy. Bo- mm-hmm. bad policy, mm-hmm. policy that never was in place to help us thrive, but to help us to oppress. And if it's in place, it's not being it's not, instituted. It's not right. being executed. executed. The Good people word. on the ground don't know what that policy right. is. They they just know what the barriers are and the structure is, but they don't know what's guiding it. And so our work now is to keep girls informed about how what policy is, how policy is informed, and how they can play a role in changing and creating policy. Absolutely. Thank you. Amelia, you want to ask, you want to address that question that was posed by DuSable? I think that they go hand in hand. So um, our youth leadership councils, we use restorative practices um, in our youth, uh, youth leadership council meetings. But I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of youth are, are trauma or I have experienced trauma in some way, usually multiple times um, and sometimes all at once. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's important that, you know, that we use trauma-informed practices, but I also think that if we're talking about, you know, preventing uh, violence prevention, it's about building relationships. Um, people who have relationships are less likely to commit violence in all sorts of ways. So I think, um, you know, being able to to have it trauma-informed practices, but also we also need to work on violence prevention. Sometimes that's access to resources. Sometimes that's, you know, making sure that we have relationships. But I think both are important. 
Okay. Uh, today, uh, at, our, at the back to school um, rally, I actually talked about a mental health. That was what I was advocating for. Um, pretty much what I mentioned is that, like, mental health is pretty tricky. Like, it's one of those things where, like, it's very serious. Like, it can lead people to death. It can lead people. It can immobilize them. But you can't really tell, like, you know, compared to if someone's, like, you know, has a broken arm, they have a cast on it. Um, absolutely. I, like, I kept saying, I kept asserting that we really need to invest more into mental health services because pretty much if everyone knows where to go and who to talk to when they need help, I mean, we're going to prosper. Everyone's going to prosper with that. Okay. Thanks, Juan. Uh, yeah, let's take another call. We have Anthony on the line, and he wants to talk about black mentorship. Anthony, what's up? Yes, hello. Hey, uh, what's up, Anthony? Good afternoon. Thank you for the program. I just wanted to say that these three programs are doing an excellent job in the community, and I wanted to see if they would be interested uh, to reach out and build those relationships and have better trauma-informed conversations with the young people that they are speaking with. Uh, for example, there are four black trauma surgeons at the University of Chicago. Um, they really need to be interviewed, especially with the traumas and the surgeries that they do for all the victims of violence. Along with that, there's the number of persons that are in that same department, uh, women and also other men. But uh, the thing is that even the general medicine, they're willing to actually reach out, make those relationships, do the mentorship, the mentorship. And also uh, do campaigns such as Stop the Bleed. So in the event you're at a party, you see something, someone bleeding, you know how to stop the bleed. Sure. Call 911. Learn preventative steps to help and uh, engage from that, that point in space. And all of this is accessible right there. And I think it's just a matter of just taking what you all have and reaching out and seeing if these uh seeing when, not the if, because I know they would, they would do it. Uh, these, these trauma surgeons will just engage you. And with Zoom as the method as it is right now, I know that it's something that we could do um, before the end of the year. Anthony, I'm sure each one of these individuals with the organizations completely agree with you because in the situation that we're in like this with, there's not too many wrong answers, right? There's not, you know, everything that they do is the right thing to do. I mean, so, uh, and of course, there can always be some adding and additional things to, to do. And that's why it's important to have outside uh, voices like yourself that can say, hey, here's some things that I'm seeing and here's some things that I think that can be in addition to what you guys are doing. And, again, I always use this. How can a person like you, Anthony, be involved with their organizations to also help uh, move the needle? And I want to mention something because you talked about uh, surgeons over at the uh, UCM. Uh, and they and it's actually being led, the trauma center is being led by an incredible brother, Dr. Selman Rogers. Mm-hmm. He is, I mean, I mean, you can't, you couldn't have, they couldn't have picked a better person to help build that platform. And he talks about all the time when I see him and in his speeches I hear him give about how do we, uh, he want to focus more on preventive care. Mm-hmm. He said we have to do this part when folks come through the door. Mm-hmm. But how do we keep folks from coming through the door? Mm-hmm. 
especially from the violence end of it, right? It's hard to prevent traffic accidents mm-hmm. and things of that nature that are freak freak of nature kind of stuff. But in terms of violence, uh, com- you know, community violence, we can do something and you guys' organizations are part of that mm-hmm. to help prevent that, to minimize folks from coming through that mm-hmm. door with gunshot wounds and stab wounds. And then there's another brother, um, Abdullah, Abdullah Mohammed, Dr. Mm-hmm. Mohammed. I mean, that young brother, he's a young brother. I think mm-hmm. he may be 30 years old. And he, yeah, Abdullah Pratt. Yeah, Abdullah Pratt, absolutely. And he's an amazing because he's now a surgeon because he he just he finished with uh, with med school, right? He's a surgeon mm-hmm. now, and so I know he's over there under uh, Doctor Rogers Tulich. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right, Anthony. We got some great workers over there, great doctors, but we need to just make sure that we are out here trying to do preventive stuff. Um, let me just make a mention too that. The uh, RAS collaboration is all all funded by University of Chicago Medicine and the Christ Advocate Hospital over in Oakland. That's the collaboration that came together and looked at violence prevention and said we need to be more involved. And, and look, and I'll say it again, I don't know how more involved University of Chicago Medicine can be, but however more involved they can be, they always step to the plate. And and I'm an advocate of the University of Chicago, you know, as well as I'm a critic. You know, part of my job is to also look at the good, the bad, and the ugly as a journalist, as a writer in the media business. But University of Chicago thus far, since I've been affiliated with them over the last seven, eight years, they have been advocates. They have been fighting this fight side by side with the community, trying to make sure that they can prevent uh, violence. And, of course, you know, they they finally under Brenda Battles and Leaf's guidance mm-hmm. and leadership, they got this trauma center built. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's Unfortunately, again, it's kind of hard to say. It's a God sent to have mm-hmm. to try to save lives, but Lord knows we don't need to have that many lives to have to be saved yeah. under those circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. So um, as we wind down here, Amila, I want you to give us some last words, you and Juan, and also give us uh, email, phone numbers, or how folks can reach out to you and, and actually help participate in uh, expanding and building your organization. Well, thank you very much for having us. We really appreciate it. Um, so I'll let Juan have last words. Um, but for contact information, um, the Alliance of the Southeast, we can be reached at 773-221-8908. Again, 773-221-8908. Uh, and just uh, leave a message. We will get back to you. Um, but we're working remotely a lot of the time. Um, and then you can also visit us on our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and look up Alliance of the Southeast. Okay. Thank you for that. Juan, last words? Uh, thank you so much for having us on. Um, to any youth out there, uh, feel free to join the YLC. I mean, you can find me. You can find a whole community of people that pretty much um, we, we're trained on leadership, community development. Like, we, we everyone's welcome. Uh, and you can always, as Molly said, you can reach out to us, and we're happy to take anyone. 
Absolutely. Oh, just hold, okay, just holding the line. I'm not done with you yet. I got one more mm-hmm. uh, question to pose to you, Amelia, as we close out. Uh, Lakeisha, give us some party words and contact information, please. Party words are Ida B. Wells said it best. She said, The people must know before they can act, and there's no greater educator than the press. Media and storytellers are who will lead us to freedom uh, by informing us, by inspiring us. We've seen with the uprisings over the summer and just COVID in general, creatives have been what has been leading us. And so I want people to understand that if we give girls the power to tell their own stories, to empower themselves through storytelling, we can save lives and we can have them save lives. They are, after all, the mothers of civilization and the mothers of our community. You can reach us at, you can look on our website, girlslikemeproject.org. Our phone number is 773-599-3490. And we are also on Facebook at Girls Like Me Project. And we're also on Instagram, Girls Like Me Project. Twitter, Girls Like Me, P-R-O-J. Get that phone number one more time, please. 773-599-3490. And Amelia, I made a mistake. Uh, I, I forgot you. Give us your phone number one more time just for the record. Sure. It's 773-221-8908. All right. Thank you. Cosette, you, party words, contact information, please. Simply this, uh, we serve about 300 young people a year, and what we have discovered is that young people are indeed resilient. They just need the resources and tools to be able to navigate through and overcome the traumas that they have experienced. And so I really love the impact that we've had because we've been able to create an environment of love that can really help young people really shift the needle and now providing youth serving professionals with those secrets, right, to make their classroom safer and to really prepare the next generation. You can reach us at the Love Institute. That's www.luvinstitute.org. And our telephone number is 773-624-5200. Okay. I'm sorry. Say the phone one more time. 773-624-5200. Got it. Look, here's a question I want to ask. It's real simple. And just give me your heartfelt response. And that is, how hopeful are you? (laughs) How hopeful are you in this fight that you are in every single day? day the three of you the four of you with Juan over there with Amelia I go you go not let Cosette you go first I gotta tell you I have great hope for our young people and I just really believe that they just need the resources and tools and so I appreciate the partnership with University of Chicago because they've been able to really help me to really expand my impact over the last eight, eight years and so I will say this Young people can make a difference. They are our future, and we have to continue to invest in them. And while we spend a lot of time marching, and I don't, you know, I don't knock marching. I think we also need to go back to the source and really begin to give our young people inside of the classroom, inside of our homes, mm-hmm. the resources they need so they can be successful. I always say that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we can march and do that and a few other things at mm-hmm. the exact same time in order to, you know, it's like assembly line when mm-hmm. you're building a car, right? Mm-hmm. You got people on different parts of the assembly line building certain parts that then when that car is finished, all those parts have to come together. In order for that car to move, if one little spark is out of place, mm-hmm. the car doesn't function. Right. So yeah, we can walk and chew gum at the same time in terms of doing a multitude of things. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we want to see progress. Lakeisha, give me your hopeful. Give me your thoughts on: Are you hopeful? 
perfect analogy, first of all, for the assembly line. Mm-hmm. I am Thank extremely you. hopeful. I am so giddy with hope. Young people, to me, are showing us right now. They're showing us to not be complacent. They're showing us that any system that was built to destroy can be broken down and mm. we can start again. Young people who are loved and, and supported can change this world. And so what I say is we can look for them for hope, but we need to look within for healing ourselves. And if we heal ourselves, we can mm. better support and love our young people. Absolutely. I love it. Amelia, same thing with you. Are you hopeful in the work that you're doing and what you see out here in these streets of America and Chicago? Yes, I am super hopeful. I think if you ever need energy or hope, I think you just uh, <laughs> meet with the youth. We work with youth from 7th, 8th, all the way up to college, and sometimes even younger than that. And youth will be able to tell you what's wrong with the neighborhood, but they can also tell you what needs to happen to make it better. And so that gives me a lot of hope, and their energy is just it's fantastic. So, yeah, working with the youth gives me a lot of hope. Absolutely. Thank you for that. We have one call on the line. we, we got time to take. Namaya, is I'm saying that correctly? Namaya, what's <laughs> up, Namaya? Close enough. This is Nemia. Hey, Nemia. Oh, the one. Okay, well, shame on me. Thank yeah. you. All right. What's up? No, but you know what? What I appreciate about today's panel is it shows how, in very different ways, we can address the trauma, the crime, the violence in our community. The caller earlier was saying, where is the outrage? Outrage doesn't always have to be matched with outrage. It's simple programs as these ladies and gentlemen are sharing that address those issues. It's exposure to different things that these kids otherwise wouldn't have. It's the arts, it's gardening, it's even interpersonal, um, building on interpersonal communication skills amongst each other so that they can not only communicate to each other within their community, but be able to communicate outside of their community. We have to evolve in what addressing our issues actually looks like. It's just not these marches that we see that media loves to pick up on because it's a big show. But after the protests, after the marches, it's these ground roots programs such as these that you're discussing today that go even further and make a much deeper impact on our youth. Because the pain is still there and these organizations are helped to try to minimize and resolve some of the pain and conflict. Look, I want to thank Amelia. I want to thank Lakeisha. I want to thank Cosette. I want to thank Juan as well. And I also want to thank all our callers for joining in today. This has been real. You guys are all welcome back to do this again. Susan Peters, executive producer, I'm sure we'll get in contact with you guys to make sure this happens. Look, next week, We have Dr. Dorian Miller is the host for The Wisdom Project, a study for women about breast cancer screening. I want to thank our technical producer, Titus Williams. As I just mentioned, Susan Peters, Tiara Randall is also a producer, and she also handles our Facebook outing. Look. This program, again, has been brought to you by the University of Chicago Medicine Urban Health Initiative, but the RISE collaboration was brought to you by the University of Chicago Medicine and the Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oakland. Look, you guys enjoy the rest of your Saturday. You, Cosette, go get that baby. You, Amelia and Juan, go get to your program going on in the streets right now. And you, Lakeisha, go and save some more lives. I am Carl West. 
Community Health Focus Hour, brought to you by University of Chicago Medicine. Peace, I am out. The Community Health Focus Hour is brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine.